Creativity is like a labyrinth, full of a thousand paths, a thousand choices that an artist must make to complete a masterpiece, a work of art with cultural value. Sometimes those choices are immediate and answer to any other questions, like choosing a painting instead of a poem. And sometimes those choices are critical to the artwork itself, like a writer deciding if the protagonist lives or dies, or a filmmaker choosing her lead actor. But amongst all these countless choices that make up the labyrinth of creativity, there is a process. And that's what this podcast is all about, the process of creativity, how we can understand it, and how you can improve it, and become a better artist. Welcome to Creative Codex. I am your host, MJ Dorian. Let's begin. Today we're going to try to understand how creativity started. The origin of art. Yeah, we're going to start small. <laughs> yes, it had to start somewhere, right? Why not? It didn't just appear in the last thousand years and it isn't a trivial result of human boredom. I personally think creativity has been the one unique aspect of human beings which has allowed us to survive 200,000 years and thrive even in the most extreme circumstances. So, where does our story begin? 100 years ago with Picasso in France, or 600 years ago with Da Vinci in Italy, or further back 4,000 years ago with the pyramids of Giza in Egypt? No, I think that's actually still too recent. Let's travel back to the earliest known works of human art. 40,000 years ago, in the caves of Spain, France, and Europe, there exist paintings done by human hands, which would actually not look out of place among the art of the 20th century. Paintings made from the limited colors you can make by crushing together dirt, clay, charcoal, burnt bones, and grounded calcite. Paintings depicting bison, horses, woolly mammoths, lions, and deer. Now, imagine you are one of these early humans, wandering through this cavern under the firelight of torches, and how these paintings must look to you. It's possible they almost come to life. The only source of light near you is the flickering of your torch, and as the flame dances, it tricks your eyes. In your peripheral vision, shadows and figures blend together, becoming herds of bison charging, becoming horses galloping. Their bodies stretch across the contour of the cavern wall, making them even appear three-dimensional. The cave wall makes for an unlikely canvas, challenging in its unevenness. But these early artists 
seem to have a clear understanding of that. And there were clever tricks by the artists, such as painting a bison with eight legs, all in varying shades of color to depict the speed of motion. I mean, have you ever watched an animal in real life sprint across a field and noticed its legs? It may look like the animal has eight legs for that moment. The speed of motion uh, may be faster than your eyes can differentiate. Or I'm sure another example, you've seen something even more simple. A bicycle wheel spinning in front of you. You look at the spokes of the wheel that connect it from the center outward to the tire, and at high speed, the wheel appears to multiply itself. The spokes seem to double in number. That's the trick these early artists were playing with. It's almost like an early form of animation. The bodies of these animals are also clearly painted with an understanding for the proportions and the bone structure, and it's, it's all rather accurate. Although, it still comes across as altogether unique to how a human hand would reinterpret the animal. It seems to channel the essence of the animal's spirit and capture it in a work of art. So these caves, they're deep. Chauvy Cave in France, as an example, is, is a quarter of a mile long, with vast chambers stretching out, uh, left and right, that link together through a labyrinth of passageways. So humans have been navigating labyrinths from the beginning. Now, these caves, they still exist only completely by chance. Over time, landslides and rock formations have shifted and closed off the entrances which we, as ancient humans, would have used making these caves airtight for tens of thousands of years, like natural time capsules, freezing the living space of humans as they used it 40,000 years ago. If something as even commonplace as a gentle rain would have touched these walls, it would have washed away these early echoes of art. It's crazy. So that number, though, is so massive. It's it's hard to appreciate how long ago that really was. I mean, unless you're an astrophysicist who talks and thinks in spans of hundreds of thousands of years, in our daily life, we only occasionally think, maybe in a few hundred year chunks of time, right? I mean, when you view a painting in a museum and look at the plaque, you see it's made maybe 400 years ago and you, and you marvel at that span of time. Or when you visit a place like China, and a monument like the Great Wall, which at maximum dates about 1,300 years. In that context, what is 40,000 years? Well, that predates all our religions. That predates written language, which we first see appearing in Mesopotamia about 10,000 years ago. That predates all of the cities of the world. So any city or country you live in did not exist. Uh, you know, take a second for that to sink in. That's, that's a long time. It was a very different world. That even predates farming and raising of cattle, which begin about 12,000 years ago. This was a very different world. And yet, here they are, in these caves, and what are they doing? Painting.
one of my favorite images from these caves is that of a solitary human hand. Fingers outstretched. The type of painting you make in class as a child for an art project where you draw around the outline of your hand. But here, the hand is that of an adult. And here, when you place your hand against it, palm to palm, it is the size of your hand. It is the human spirit, the creative spark, calling forth over unimaginable stretches of time, saying, I was here at this moment in time, as you are now. That, my friends, that is the power of creativity, of art. Time is made irrelevant, and the art elevates us to a place closer to the infinite. After all this, we have to ask, why did these early humans paint at all? I mean, researchers of the Chauvy Cave in France say that they find countless traces of animal bones, human footprints, and yet no human bones. So was this a living space? Nothing is buried there that would indicate any humans. We know humans existed there and used the cave from footprints. We know they lived there at least for a time because of the paintings. So they don't believe this was a living space. This cave was a space for rituals, ceremonies, and hunting. At the center of one of the vast chambers is a rectangular stone. Perched atop is the skull of a cave bear, pointed at the entrance, with paintings decorating the walls and remnants of charcoal surrounding the skull, implying that something like the burning of incense was happening on this makeshift altar around this cave bear skull. Could art have started as a form of magic, as an essential ingredient in ritual? Did these early humans use art to help them attain favor with the animal spirits for better hunting? Or did they paint the animals they killed as a symbolic show of respect? It's hard to say. But is it so far-fetched to think that the origin of art is connected to magic and ceremony, to religious experience, to the call of the spirit world? When you look at ancient cultures, all around the world, there's evidence everywhere about this idea that art bridges the gap between the two worlds. Our material world, which we live in, which we have society in, which we function in, which we would have hunted in, and the spirit world, the place where our ancestors have gone, where our family before us has gone, the place where we reside after passing from this world. And maybe as we became more civilized, Quote unquote, this original purpose of art died little by little and became fragmented over the span of tens of thousands of years. But one could say there is still magic in art. There is still mystery in creativity, whether you call it a bridge to the spirit world or a bridge to our unconscious mind. We still listen to music. We still feel the impulse to create. We still feel the need to connect with each other through a shared cultural experience. There is still magic 
in that. And oddly enough, it is almost like the creative spark has been with humans since the beginning. Archaeologists have found more than just cave paintings. They have found sculptures, too, like little figurines that seem to suggest a goddess or the sanctity of femininity. Female figurines with enlarged hips and breasts. And these have been found in every ancient culture around the world, including the Paleolithic one, which we have traveled back to today in this episode. Another artifact found in ancient European excavation sites, a lion man, a sculpture of the body of a man with the head of a lion, symbolic art. Man, why is that significant? Well, man did not have written language yet, and yet was speaking in symbols, was speaking through what could be interpreted as the realm of dreams, and was abstracting the world and representing it like a dream made real. It was also about this time that we know Neanderthals lived in similar regions to Homo sapiens. Occasionally, conflicts would arise. One can imagine some of our first wars occurred through the conflict of interests between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals. What happened to the Neanderthals? Why are we around? And they grew extinct. We know that there was cross-mating between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals, whether that was through mutual interest or the result of wars and captives of war, we don't know, but we know it happened. You can actually see in your DNA how much Neanderthal crossbreeding there would have been among your ancestors. Usually it's pretty small. Usually it's only within the first few percent, but the fact that it exists at all, I mean, says something about our history, doesn't it? So what did happen to them? Well, when archeologists look back at the living spaces of Neanderthals, they don't find art. They don't find objects of creativity. They don't find cave paintings. Why? What benefit would early humans gain from being able to express the creative spark that if Neanderthals were missing might lead to their extinction? Is there something in being able to abstract the environment and create something new out of it that has allowed humans to thrive and survive for tens of thousands of years? And scientists say about 200,000 years since the earliest, earliest indication of humans as Homo sapiens existing. Perhaps that is what allowed us to become what we are today. The fact that we had a creative spark, had an impulse to express the abstractions of the mind in this way, and maybe even more importantly, to be able to adapt in ingenious ways to the changing environment around us. Creativity and ingenuity would have been essential to early humans to be able to survive in the weather conditions of the Ice Age, which we're discussing about 40,000 years ago when the Ice Age was nearing its end. And the weather all around the world it's said to have been about 12 degrees cooler than it is now. And during this time, I mean, obviously humans didn't have technology the way we know it today. It was largely a, a hunter-gatherer type society. And one example was the way humans would hunt and kill large animals for their meat, fur, bones, and hides, and everything would be reused in some fashion. 
Ice Age humans even made needles out of bone and, using the sinew from the animals, would create thread. And with that thread, they would sew warm clothes together from the animal skins. So the ingenuity to create unique items, clothes, weapons, would have been essential for survival at that time. This was before agriculture. This was before farming and raising of cattle. These were serious times, which demanded the creatures living at that time to be adaptable. Perhaps the Neanderthals, who lived alongside our early humans, they didn't adapt as well as we did. They didn't have the ability to abstract the environment and find ingenious ways to stick together, to advance themselves, and even to create art and from it, culture. And on that note, I'd like to leave you with one final discovery from this time period. A discovery that's close to my heart. Among the artifacts found by archaeologists about 40,000 years ago in southern Germany, there exist bone flutes made from vulture bones. And into them are carved holes with meticulous attention to detail and refused for the purpose of maintaining an airtight space so that the human breath can pass through and create music. What is more full of art and magic than that? That before agriculture, before written language, before cities, humans were banding together, sitting down, carving these bones into flutes and very likely singing, very likely clapping and making music. And you have to wonder how would that music have sounded? Well, there is one insight into that. The distance of those holes put into the flute, they make for a very interesting scale that we still use today and that is used across all world cultures. The name of it is the pentatonic scale. that may sound to um, those non-music nerds out there, that is a very, very common scale that appears throughout all world cultures and all ethnic music and has been used, my goodness, since the, I guess, since the beginning of music. You can hear its use in everything from Jimi Hendrix to Japanese shakuhachi flutes to the music of Native Americans, to the music of Hindu ragas being played on the sitar. You name it. Every world culture, 
every genre and style of music, even down to our pop music of today. You can easily choose one of five songs playing on the radio and say, yep, that's a pentatonic scale right there. That's, whoa, that Lady Gaga hit, yep, that's the pentatonic scale coming back again. It's old, it's an old scale, clearly. Doesn't mean that was the only one they were using and playing, but we can guarantee that that was one of them. This has been Creative Codex, our first episode. I thank you for listening. I thank you for joining me on this journey into a new venture that I have never explored before. And I hope this has been informative. Quite a bit of research went into learning about such an early period of history that um, we don't have a lot of information about. One film that particularly inspired me was... uh, a documentary by the director Werner Herzog. And the documentary is called Cave of Forgotten Dreams. It's easily available on Netflix or you can search it up anywhere else. But Cave of Forgotten Dreams, it takes you through the Chauvie Cave in France and shows in vivid detail these glorious paintings of, in that case, they were 30,000 years ago. But we know of ones that also exist up to 40,000. That's why I kept harping on that number there. So I have been MJ Dorian. You can find out more about this podcast and see beautiful images of the various cave paintings I described to you at our current website for this podcast. You can please go to mjdorian.com forward slash codex. That's mjdorian.com forward slash codex. You can follow me at all social media from Instagram to Twitter at mjdorian and follow the podcast on iTunes. I hope to see you in a week from now for the second episode. Thank you.